what I was trying to say is there are different expectations for a guest at different price points. So I have seen STRs in the $40 to $50 a night range, and I've seen them up to five or $600 a night range. Just like hotels, you have the, the, the Lux Hotel and you have the Budget Hotel, and everybody's looking for something different. And the nice thing about STR is for the consumer is they can choose exactly what they need in their suite. Hey, investors. You are listening to the Investing to Win podcast the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Investment community, this is Garrett Wong. I just finished another fantastic interview with Melanie Mitchell. She is a local real estate investor that specializes in short-term rentals. You know, short-term rentals or STRs is a pretty hot topic in the real estate space these days. In this podcast, we discuss the basics of STRs, but then we get into licensing and regulations, and in fact, a crisis at City Hall that is in danger of making STRs illegal in our city. Let's get right into it. Hello, investing community. My name is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Melanie Mitchell. And we're going to be speaking about short-term rental. Melanie, welcome. Thank you for having me, Garrett. So I'd like to start off um, by maybe having you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and what the operations look like. Okay. I am Melanie Mitchell of MM Properties Winnipeg, and I'm also the president and founder of the Manitoba Association for Short-Term Rental Owners. And um, I run right now three short-term rentals in Winnipeg. I did have four, now I'm down to three. And I have been a long-term rental property investor for 20 years. I'm four years in with the short-term rental avenue. Okay, interesting. Let's, um, I know that short-term rentals is, is kind of a hot topic these days. It seems like everybody wants to get into it. Let's start with the basic definition. For our audience, what is a short-term rental? Well, a short-term rental would be a furnished house or apartment where someone would book uh, a certain space of time to stay in the rental. Uh, usually, they'll come for work purposes or they'll come for uh, medical treatment or even a vacation. And a lot of times, they're introduced to the host, uh, to their host property owner through an app. And there's many different apps that do this introduction, but uh, the biggies would be Airbnb and VRBO. VRBO stands for Vacation Rentals by Owner. Um, those two are the two main platforms, but there's many different platforms that could introduce potential visitors to the host's property. Okay. So, I mean, I've used these platforms, VRBO and Airbnb, when I'm on vacation. Is, is STRs... Sort of, sort of mainly just about that vacation rental? Actually, no. Vaca uh, tourism and vacation is part of our business. 
but one of the bigger parts is people coming to Winnipeg temporarily for work contracts or for medical treatment or mainly to visit family that still lives in Winnipeg if they came from a lot of our guests come from places like Calgary, Toronto, but they are original Winnipegers and they want to stay in the neighborhood close to their parents that they're visiting. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, I, I've heard of people categorizing a furnished rental as an STR. Is there a sort of a line where it becomes a long-term furnished rental? Well, technically, 30 days or longer is no longer a short-term rental. But um, there's also a midterm rental, which would be more than 30 days, but it would probably be less than a year or less than six months. It would be, you know, 30 days up to maybe four to six months normally. So there's long, short, and midterm rentals. Interesting. Okay. And for an STR, what what are we providing as hosts? I mean, is it just the furniture? Like I, I've stayed in places where there's literally forks and cutlery and you know, napkins and paper towels? I, every, every STR varies in what it provides, but in most of them you will find, you know, the shampoo, soap, body wash, you'll find the, the dishwashing liquid, laundry soap. And a lot of times too, you'll find coffee, tea, sugar, cooking oil, spices in some of them. Like it's just, the idea is you walk in with your suitcase and you can start living there right off the bat without having to go get any supplies. Similar to a furnished hotel, I guess. So I guess there's more there than a hotel, maybe a furnished suite. Well, in hotels, normally you just get the cupboard space and the linen on the bed uh, maybe some, and, and some towels. In this, you would have everything you would find in a home. For example, in mine, I have uh, books, games records to play one one of them even has a guitar i mean it's more home focused rather than um just the linen and the towels solely interesting let's let's transition backwards a little bit you had said that you were you've been in in the real estate investment game i believe you said for about 20 years and you started off in long-term rentals. So what made you switch? Why Why did you go to STRs? I was kind of pushed into switching by my husband. He heard about it in the uh, U.S. and we stayed in one in the Bahamas. And he thought it was something that would suit me. The hosting, the whole hosting culture would suit me well. Um, so I entered it kind of reluctantly. My husband, you know, kind of nudged me into it. And it didn't take long to realize that uh, it worked well for me. And I really got into it um, pretty, pretty hardcore, I guess you would say. Well, what are the differences that you had to do other than I, I mean, I guess, I'm trying to paint a picture for our audience, some of which might be beginners, or maybe they are in long term rentals thinking of transitioning into short term. Tell us what that journey looks like. Is it just a matter of buying some furniture and downloading an app? I wish it was that simple. Um, <laughs> the draw of short-term rentals is, for a lot of investors, is the profit potential. But what I didn't know and a lot don't know is there is a lot of labor that goes into that process. So yes, you earn more, but you absolutely work for it. It is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week operation. It is so far removed from passive income <laughs> that I couldn't even imagine. I didn't realize that I'd be working, you know, 
20, 30 hours a week extra to earn that extra income on the, on the short-term rentals. I do enjoy meeting the people from other countries. I do enjoy introducing them to my Winnipeg. Um, so it's both personal and professional why I got into this, uh, to this field. It's not for everyone. It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. The profit potential, for example, would be maybe two to three times the average amount of a long-term rental if all goes well. But um, it's about 100 times the amount of work, conservatively. And the other thing is you always have the risk of sitting empty. This past January, I sat empty at all three locations for six weeks. It was unusual. It's never happened before. But that means three mortgages come out of my pocket besides the house I live in. So that was, that was uh, with long-term rental, you don't have those peaks and valleys. You could have a, a vacancy, but you know how long it's going to be for just until you finish laying the flooring. You don't, you don't have an unknown amount of time without income. Okay. So um, if I'm guessing right, you have to be really good at budgeting <laughs> and don't spend money when you have it in your pocket. Put it away for a rainy day so that mortgage payment can get paid. Absolutely. You don't uh, have a great big month and go drinks on me, everyone, because uh, January of 2023 is coming for you. You don't know when, you don't know how long the glut is going to last. Now, fortunately, I'm fully booked for uh, the fire paramedic games coming this summer. I've been booked for about six months for that. I have another a few large contracts coming in, thankfully, but it was starting to get a bit of get to be a bit of a nail biter there in January when you went when I went all of January and part of February without any income because the taxes still need to be paid, the utilities still need to be paid, even the Shaw bill to watch TV where no one's watching it, but I still have to pay for it just in case someone shows up. So it is a, it's a little bit more high risk uh, financially than long-term rental, but I would say it's lower risk in terms of damage to the property, need to evict, things like that. It's uh, it's low risk on the property and high risk on your wallet. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I actually just gave my head a shake. You know, things as, as a long-term investor and, uh, you know, an owner of long-term rentals, I don't think of things like Shaw bills and internet and Wi-Fi and things like that. Do you think about snow clearing and grass cutting and washing linens and how to do 15 different types of stain treatments. And yeah, no, definitely not. So let's, um, let's back up a second or maybe go from a, a 10,000 foot view. So let's pretend you're giving me some advice or, you know, one of our listeners, I have a, a long-term rental, it becomes vacant. Let's take that listener through what he or she might need to do to convert a, a long-term rental into a short-term rental. Well, for example, in my case, and not every, but um, I'm renting some three-bedroom, two-bath homes, and the contents, you wouldn't believe how fast forks and knives and, and uh, bowls and pots and towels add up to. There's about $30,000 worth of contents in e at each location. I never thought I would own $1,500 worth of towels per location. And so there's an awful, awfully large outlay 
initial investment to get started. And let's say you don't like it. <laughs> so what do you do with all these towels? So I'm glad that I, you know, got into it and, and like it um, because there would be one heck of a garage sale for furniture if, if it didn't work out for me. Not all locations work out as a short-term rental. Like I said earlier, I had four. Now I have three. I had one location that was underperforming. So it went back onto the long-term rental market. Interesting. So, I mean, break it down for me. We're talking about what beds, mattresses, bed tables, side tables, coffee tables. If you look around your own home, everything you see there is in an STR. So you got a toaster, you got a rice maker or crock pot, you have linens, towels, you have um, curtains, blinds, you have, and the other thing is too, you have to keep replacing the linens in case they get torn or they turn gray from too much washing or they get a stain. I, I go through about 25, a, a case of 25 sets of sheets about every three months. I thought 25 sheets would last me the rest of my life. They would in my own home. Of course. Yeah. I mean, and I imagine, I mean, I, I had a cottage many moons ago and, you know, to furnish a cottage, like most people do, they, they take their secondhand pots and plates and chipped pottery and they, they put it in their cottage because it's eclectic. That's, that's what you do. I don't think you can get away with that in an STR, can you? It depends on the clientele you're trying to attract because there are clients of all different price points. So if you want to put your chipped dishes and your old furniture in a, in a suite, you can still rent that suite, but you might only get forty or fifty dollars a night. But there is the there is the traveler that wants the lower budget suite, and they're going to expect mismatched cups and chip dishes and whatnot because they're paying the price point that allows for that. So you don't have to go out and spend tens of thousands on each property. Um, you might have a one bedroom suite that only costs. $3,000 to furnish and you can bring your old sofa from your basement and your chip dishes and someone will still rent that because that makes it affordable for them to still travel. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I mean, when I'm thinking like the way I like to travel or the, what I've seen advertised online, I would say that's probably not the norm. I think most people then have to do that twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 outlay. I guess you just consider it part of the asset. No different if you were renovating a long-term rental and you're putting in new kitchens and bathrooms. Except that's you're part not of it. putting in new kitchens and bathrooms every two, three months, right? Yes. No. Yeah, uh, definitely. So um, I, um, what I was trying to say is there are different expectations for a guest at different price points. So I have seen STRs in the 40 to $50 a night range, and I've seen them up to five or $600 a night range. Just like hotels, you have the the, the Lux Hotel and you have the Budget Hotel and everybody's looking for something different. And the nice thing about STR is for the consumer is they can choose exactly what they need in their suite. All right. So let's say that I'm, I'm all committed. Um, I've, gone, I've gone shopping. I've done my research. I've ironed my sheets, put my property on the app. Walk me through what a stay looks like from you know, now you've released something to, uh, you know, answering those inquiries to finally getting somebody in. What does that look like? Well, they, it's very straightforward. That's one nice thing. I'm not super tech savvy and I was happy to have a business that required very little 
computer knowledge. I, I have nice, you know, I went, did nice pictures and then I got a booking about half an hour after I listed the suite, which is unusual. And I wasn't quite ready. I hadn't ironed the drapes. I hadn't finished making the beds. And my very first day in the first half an hour, all of a sudden, boom, a booking. And um, so I thought, oh, this is easy. Uh, you know, you just put your picture and next thing you know, people come flooding in, flooding in, build it, they will come. I think that was more luck than anything. My first guest was uh, was needing a place immediately because they their other travel arrangements had changed or canceled. So what happens is a, an inquiry will come in over the app. It's almost like being paged because my phone will make a funny sound. And next thing you know, I start a conversation with the guest, uh, potential guests. Sometimes they book automatically. Sometimes they want to ask a bunch of questions first to see if your property is suitable for them. So you have a bit of a conversation with them. If they decide to book your property, um, all of a sudden your calendar will automatically blank during the time they want to stay. And then the next thing that happens is they show up at your property, you host them, they leave, they give you a review, and the process starts again. Okay. So they come in, they book. I mean, do you have to go and deliver keys? Do you have to open it up? How much management is there on that side? Um, I used to have keyed locks when I first started because that's what the house had. And I quickly learned that that is not the route to go because guests can come at any time of the day or night. They might have booked for today at 3 p.m., but their flight might be delayed and they show up at midnight. Another hazard of having keyed locks rather than a keypad is I had a guest lose his keys. So Wednesday night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from my guest saying he had lost his keys. Unfortunately, he was quite well inebriated by that time. <laughs> anyway, so I went down to rescue him with the keys and let him in. I had to help him physically get into the house because he had a little bit of an issue. And he wanted to pay me for my time coming down, which was very nice of him. But um, when he reached into his pocket for some money, out came the key. Of course so. it did. Of course it did. <laughs> so there's all sorts of stories. I mean, super nice guy. He appreciated me coming to rescue him. But if you don't want to rescue uh, your guest at three o'clock in the morning, you would be best to have a keyed lock. That's that. That's the first piece of advice. So we're talking what smart locks? Is that smart what smart locks or or even just a uh, conventional old fashioned keypad lock, just with a code, so you don't have to be aware. Uh, keeping care of keys. People would forget and take the key with them and have to mail it back. And then the, play, the key locks had to be changed because I didn't know if the house is still secure because who else has a copy of that key. So that would be my first piece of advice for a new um, SDR owner is get rid of those keys right off the bat. And then, I mean, are you able to, or do you have to physically go down to the property to change the code in between guests or is that, some can people, that be done online? Some people have super sophisticated, you know, more sophisticated, sophisticated locks where they can change them from their phone remotely. I'm not quite that automated because I'm going to check the property anyhow between guests and uh, check on the cleaning process, check on the linens, check for any damage. So I'm going there anyhow. So I just use a, a more low uh, low tech lock because I find them more reliable in this climate. And um, 
and, and it's easy for easy for people to use. I have some elderly clients. They may not have smartphones to get them into the property and things like that or anything to swipe. I just, you know, you press the four buttons, you turn the knob and in you are. So Yeah, no, sometimes mechanical is better. Okay, so let's fast forward. So the guest has been in the property. You might have had to respond to different issues. Um, obviously, my sister company is a property management company, so I know what midnight phone calls are like. But in our pre-show, you mentioned how much more vigilant you need to be on these calls because it is an STR. Why don't you describe that? Well, when you have a long-term tenant and they have a leaky shower or they can't get hot water and you have a relationship with them, you usually have hours or days to respond to something. You know, my stove's not working right. Okay, well, I'll be there Wednesday at two o'clock. If your stove is not working properly in an STR, you have minutes to respond. You don't have hours or days. The quicker you respond, correct the problem, the more likelihood you have a good review and your business absolutely depends on good reviews. So anything you can do to correct or keep the stay going smoothly, you have to do it and you have to do it immediately. It can be two o'clock in the morning. It can be noon on a Sunday when you're out with your family for brunch. It doesn't matter. You have to respond immediately. Uh, to their question on the app, and you have to respond immediately in person if it's if it's warranted. Um, you are connected to that STR. Um, your phone is your umbilical cord to that STR, and you it has to be on twenty four hours a day. There's no break from STR. If you want to go on a holiday, you shut it down. Right. Okay. I mean, or put somebody else in charge. No, of course. Yeah, that's uh, that's very enlightening. I mean, what happens if you can't take care of it? I mean, air conditioning issues, I can imagine in the heat of summer here, no heat issues. You uh, have to pump the stay, put them in alternate location. Um, you know, there was a plumbing issue at my property once during a stay. I had to put them in a hotel at the last minute. Uh, one time I had the alarm system going off on its own every 20 minutes chirping I would have smashed the alarm off the wall, but my husband assured me that that's not going to make it stop chirping because it will still do that. So I, 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 I comped that night. They stayed and put up with the noise and I gave them a free night. Uh, I had it fixed by the next morning, but I gave them the option to go stay in a fancy hotel in Winnipeg instead to get away from the noise. They chose, they opted, and that would be at my treat. Uh, they opted to stay where they were because their their food was all unpacked there and everything, and their kids were sleeping through the noise, so they decided to stay there. But I would have put them in any hotel in Winnipeg for the night just to keep them comfortable and and happy. Wow! In my out of my own pocket. Right, right. Negating no. any profit on that stay. No, of course. So I mean. My business, most businesses go, uh, you know, on Google reviews and things like that. I know these apps have reviews. How important are those reviews? Those reviews are vital. Um, you have to have, you know, nearly all five out of five, uh, five-star stays, which a lot of people think that's a perfect score. That's the minimum score. Like perfection is the minimum score. It is very high pressure. Wow. Okay. So- like out of hundred stays, I have two guests who were less than five out of five uh, satisfied, for example, of the ratio. And I mean, I still lose sleep over those two 
I had one three out of five and one four out of five in a hundred stays. The rest are all five out of five. So that's the kind of pressure you have to put on yourself as an STR owner to keep these people giving you the minimum score, which is per, which is a hundred percent. Because it will affect future stays, absolutely, future bookings, absolutely. So it's very competitive then. Yes. And the other thing is too, a lot of times when you get a four out of five or a three out of five, it's not even anything in your control, which is a, a hard, hard thing to get your head around. Like the one three out of five stay, the, cust- the guest ordered takeout food and it came cold. And all of a sudden I got a three out of five. I don't own the restaurant where the food came from. I don't own the delivery service that brought the food. But I got a three out of five on location because the delivery driver couldn't find the house and the food ended up being cold. And all of a sudden, I get a three out of five because they weren't satisfied with their stay. Nothing that I did, nothing to do with, like, I, I have no control over the restaurant or the delivery driver, but I still got a three out of five. Wow. Wow. Mind blowing. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. How much factor does location play into the success of an STR? I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize Winnipeg as a vacation destination. Do you still, do you think people can still be successful here in Winnipeg? They can be absolutely, absolutely. They can be successful in STR in Winnipeg. There are, are a lot of businesses sending employees. There's a lot of people who used to be from Winnipeg coming in to see family in all neighborhoods. There are some that are more popular than others if they're located near something, like if they're located near an attraction or they're located near a good bus route or, you know, located close enough to the downtown to be quiet, but still very accessible to say the convention center or things like that. So yes, STRs are popular in all neighborhoods, but if you get too far into the outskirts of Winnipeg, then probably the popularity drops. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, I mean, from what you had said a few minutes ago, it's not only about vacation rentals, right? It's all about the need and there's a whole different subset of people that might need to stay in these properties. 
For example, the Riverview Health Center is the biggest palliative care and stroke recovery rehab facility probably in the Prairie Provinces. There are a lot of short-term rentals around that pro- that uh, location. And these are families coming in for weeks or months because a family member's either in treatment or in, or in palliative care. They don't know how long they're going to stay. They come with their dog. They come with their children. They come with their grandparent. They live there for an indefinite amount of time. That's not really a vacation, but that's what these houses serve. They also serve our northern community friends because they travel in a multi-generational unit and they want to cook traditional food, which I don't think we have a, a Indigenous restaurant in Winnipeg. Uh, one of my guests, for example, will bake, will bake her own bannock every morning for breakfast for the family, just like they do at home. You can't really do that in a hotel. So they serve them. They serve the people that travel with pets. Hotels, some of them do take pets, but you have to have them on a leash, which is understandable. But some of my clients who come for cancer care treatment are too weak to walk their dog. So they just let it out in my yard. And um, they, they, they're not physically capable of walking the dog on a leash, but they do like to have it there for um, for comfort. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, kind of opening up my eyes and certainly the eyes of the audience that, you know, it, it's not like you said, about vacations. I mean, that emotional component that you're helping somebody when they're in need, visiting sick relatives and things like that, that's very that's very rewarding on its own. It is. Another thing I do a lot of is newcomers. So they stay for, you know, sometimes two months or something, and then they move on to permanent housing in somebody's long-term rental or they buy a house or whatnot. But these are people that need a little bit of orienting to Winnipeg. So I can tell them where to get their dry cleaning done. I can tell them where to go for groceries or what a good restaurant is. I can also give them a reference. So when they want to come stay in one of your properties, um, they, they get a reference from me as their landlord. You don't really get a reference from a hotel if you're looking for a permanent apartment in Winnipeg. Right. Very true. Okay. So I think. I think we've established that there's a thriving community here for STR. Um, there's a lot of people that would definitely turn it into, you know, part of their business models. One of the reasons I brought you on the show today was because at the least at the time of this recording, um, STR business owners are facing a crisis in our city. So why don't you outline, outline for us what the current issue is that's happening, and then we can kind of discuss the different options. For about two years now, our city council and the STR owners have been kind of at odds uh, with each other because there had been some neighborhood complaints about not in my backyard. I don't want this entity to exist near me. Um, I want to know my neighbors. I don't want people coming and going. And the hotel industry is heavy into it saying this shouldn't exist because people should stay in hotels only when they come to Winnipeg. They're taking away, they're eating our lunch. They're taking away our paycheck. We've invested into hotels, so they should stay there. So it's a multifaceted issue. It's be, kind of between the STR owners and the neighborhood, between the hotel industry and the ST own, S, STR owners. 
the city of Winnipeg is kind of trying to play referee between those three interest groups. And it's kind of gone back and forth and back and forth for a few years. And just now, uh, a week ago, there was some very extremely harsh regulation introduced as a proposed bylaw, which would ban nearly all of the STRs in Winnipeg, negating all the good things that they're doing for the community and for people uh, staying in hospital and people coming to work and people coming with their pet, etc., and just wanting to squash the entire thing. I don't know if that was city council's intent. I think probably they misunderstood what exactly STRs bring to the tourism table as well as the community. Then a week went by and there was some dialogue between uh, city council and the STR owners. And I'm sure the hotel industry and neighborhood groups were weighing in as well. Now, today, there's been an improvement to these uh, proposed bylaws. It's been a big step forward, but there's a long way to go. And I look forward to the STR community being involved in the discussion finally. And er I think the STR community has finally earned a seat at the table in these discussions. So why don't you break it down for us? What, what were the main issues and what are they proposing? Okay, a week ago, um, after a study was done by City of Winnipeg last summer, and everybody, uh, residents and STR owners and anyone in Winnipeg was uh, given the opportunity to fill out a survey about STR. What do you think of having it in your neighborhood? What do you think of running one? Where you know what should be allowed, what shouldn't be allowed? And so they did this huge study, public engagement study, and the results came in last week. And the results said that there's not a huge problem or concern with STR in Winnipeg. However, uh, the city council went super strict on the recommendations based on the report, which didn't really match with the data, they, their own data that they collected. The city of Winnipeg said we're going to have only primary residents STRs, which means your spare bedroom, your basement, or you go to the lake and you rent out your entire home. And they're also going to allow one non-primary residence STR, which means you could have your own home that you rent out or parts of it, and maybe one condo downtown that you rent out as well. Now, the problem is the main problem was they did not allow any STRs that weren't your primary residence, so no investment STRs in a R1 residential area or an R2 residential area. An R1, R2 is single family home or duplex. So basically, you couldn't have any STRs anyway unless you had them in a downtown condo because they were going to allow a multifamily. STRs, but no houses um, and not in a residential area. So about 80% of the STRs would have been shut down immediately if that bylaw had gone through the way it was worded. It was just as strict as Toronto, which has been a sour spot in STR in Canada because Toronto sh nearly shut down STR a few years ago, and there's still some legal challenges and some some SDRs went under in Toronto based on the 
restrictive regulation and Winnipeg was trying to do the same thing here. Now, as of today, after much discussion over the last week and a petition that we circulated with, which now has 1600 plus names on it, and it's growing incrementally by the minute, um, Winnipeg has spoken and said enough over-regulating. So uh, we're very relieved here that now you can have three non-primary residence STRs and they can be uh, in a residential in a residential area, which is which is huge. But problem with that that I see is it's grandfathered in. So all of these listeners that you have here today that don't have an STR yet and would like to have one cannot. They would have had to open them as of today. So that's to limit the number of STRs available in Winnipeg. But the problem with that that I see is it builds in obsolescence. I'm 51 years old. Some of my cohorts are in their 60s. Some are in their 20s, but some of them are in their 60s. Let's say they retire or decide to go into a different business or they move away. That unit, STR unit, is lost. So it's no longer offered to people visiting Winnipeg. So within a decade, a lot of those current STRs will have dissolved and there's nothing to replace them with. So that is a shame because it's a valuable service for Winnipeg. It's generating huge, it will generate huge revenue in the licensing program as well as the 5% proposed accommodation tax. Uh, our projections for the accommodation tax are, I think it's one point three or 1.6 million. I don't have my notes in front of me, but it's over a million dollars anyways. There's a lot that 1.3 or 1.6 million could do to help uh, Winnipeg with their huge deficit or fix a few potholes or put into subsidies for affordable housing. Another issue with STR that the opposition uses is that Shame on Melanie and her friends for buying up all these houses and there's no affordable housing for people to live in. But if you look over the listings that are available locally on the, on the Airbnb app, if I look at them as an investor or as even as someone who wants to do long-term rental, if you skim through them, you'll see that most of them would rent even unfurnished at, say, $2,000 a month and higher. Maybe eighteen or fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars a month and higher. I did a calculation based on the new minimum wage for April of 2023, which is fourteen dollars and fifteen cents an hour. And let's say someone worked forty hours a week, and as per CMHC guidelines, they were able to spend thirty percent of their earned income on accommodation. That gives them an apartment for under seven hundred dollars a month, unfurnished. So none of the listings in Winnipeg for STR would come even close to that number. They'd be two, three, four times that amount. So if you shut down the entire STR community in Winnipeg, you still have an affordable housing problem. Okay. So let, let me summarize that if I can. So city council is proposing or had proposed some changes. Uh, I, I mean, even before that, I, I think 
the message or the the overreaction here is we're talking about what partying and and people not there's a negative connotation about STRs in a neighborhood and you've got all these people coming and going and doing damage and you know being inebriated and things like that. That is a common misconception and it is true of some operators. I mean in any industry you have the cream of the crop, you have the average, uh, the average operator, and then you have a few bad apples. And licensing and regulation, which I'm all for, would curb the bad operators and just leave uh, the ambassadors to Winnipeg, like a lot of the people who presented at council would, you know, would be that category. There, the the ones that have been a problem, and there are some. I'm not denying that. You don't see them talking to council and engaging. You don't see them on this podcast. You don't see them coming up with solutions on how neighborhoods can be safe and how neighborhoods can be comfortable. Of course, you can't take up all the parking on the street and and expect your neighbors to be happy uh, about it. Of course, you can't put six people in a bedroom and fill up your trash cans and the neighbor's trash cans and have 10, 10 parking spots removed from the street parking. Of course, you can't do that. But licensing and regulation will will clean up that element and leave the rest of us to do what we do best. Okay, so I, I mean, you, you mentioned Toronto. Um, I, I'm kind of involved in the long term political game here, uh, you know, with minister levels and things like that. And I I know that government usually follows other cities. What what are some of the other successful models that you know that would give a healthy STR community that the we most- can emulate? The most successful model that I've seen, um, and I looked at 100 cities, both Canada, U.S., and Europe. I read their bylaws inside and out, and Regina is on the right track. Like Regina has workable, fair, common sense rules. Um, And one year into their uh, licensing regime, I was able to receive a report from Regina City Council Public Service Department saying that everything is going well, no changes planned, which is huge. Calgary is another city that's STR friendly and isn't has done a licensing and regulation re- regime and did not come down as hard as Toronto and Winnipeg tried to emulate and did did very well. So Calgary, Regina, there are cities that can regulate without squashing an entire industry and putting 2,000 Winnipeggers out of work. The reason I say 2,000 is each STR is going to have a cleaning person, at least one. I have three uh, part-time people. They're going to have probably snow clearing contracts. They're probably going to have a landscaper doing the yard work and watering the flowers and whatnot. Uh, some of them have a property manager. All of these people could be out of work in one fell swoop. Um, a lot of the people that are employed in the cleaning, especially, are the working poor. They're single moms. They're newcomers. They're, they don't speak English well enough to have a job in a restaurant, for example, but they can come and clean, no problem. I also have people that cannot work a regular conventional job due to either physical or, or, or mental disability, but they can absolutely do uh, cleaning or snow shoveling or that kind of thing. Um, I also have one STR owner or a few actually STR owners in our organization that 
Uh, one of them is a retired uh, police officer, young, but retired due to PTSD. He can, uh, so what he did is he took his, his insurance payout from a job-related issue uh, that caused the PTSD. He took his insurance payout and he bought four houses. Uh, and he uses that as his job. He manages the four houses. He goes and does the maintenance. He takes care of the laundry. He takes care of the bookings. So he can be productive and supplement his family's income and have his own business. He, he, he can't work a regular eight-hour job five days a week, but he can go you know, a few hours a day and keep up with the work of the STR. And um, it gets him out of the house to uh, talk to the guests and um, and be productive and 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 okay. So city council here, we're we're talking about a crisis. You mentioned grandfathering. Um, how are these things uh, up in the air right now? Are there still discussions? What can we do? What can the audience do to get behind you? There are discussions ongoing. Uh, this afternoon, we find out whether they're going to vote on these on these proposed bylaws or if they're going to send it back to the planning department for more discussion, what the audience could do to help is sign our petition, leave a comment on our petition. Wow. I was going to ask, because really this is the negative connotations. What do you think some of the things that our industry can do to dispel the negative connotations about STRs? Well, there were a lot of negative connotations even at City Hall. Um, and after two years of dialogue explaining, this is what we do, this is who we are, this is how we operate, this is who we benefit, this is why we exist, that does a lot. And you don't need to do that at City Hall like I have been. You can do that just within the neighborhood your STR is located within. For, in, in, for example, in my neighborhood, I've met all the neighbors. They have my cell phone number. They know what I'm doing with the house. So they don't have to speculate out the window. Why is there different cars in the driveway all the time? Who are these people that are coming? Are they going to live there permanently? I have, I have a few neighbors who are a little bit more wary of STRs. And I tell them, hey, guess what? This week for the next 10 days, I have a volleyball team coming from uh, Regina. They're teenagers and they have four players and three chaperones. So it's almost one-to-one. So you shouldn't have any issue. They're here for 10 days. And she's like, oh, thanks. And then, oh, this family's from Ireland. They are here to mourn the passing of their grandmother. So they will be having, you know, family members come and go with food and things like that for them. They are not partying. They are actually morning. So just so they know what's going on there and who's coming there and why are they coming there. I don't give a lot of information about the guest um, in order for privacy reasons, but some neighbors want to know, some don't want to know. They just like to be included in the conversation. Don't hide what you're doing from your neighbors. Some of my neighbors are actually free unpaid security for my STRs when they're empty. I had one neighbor uh, I had one guest whose father and brother were both in the, uh, and two brothers, I should say, were both in the police force. So one day at noon, I guess she invited her two brothers over for lunch while she was, while she was staying there. And all of a sudden, two police cars show up at my house. So my neighbor across the back lane is on the phone to me in seconds saying, oh my gosh, there's two police cars at your house. And I thought, oh no, two? What the heck's going on? So I call. And the lady said, oh, my brothers are over for lunch. 
ah, so it's not actually a work-related call. They're there for soup and sandwich. Okay, I'll let my neighbor know. So, but say something bad was going on, I would be grateful to that neighbor for keeping an eagle eye out. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, I've learned tons during this podcast. And I think our listeners, both uh, existing operators and those who are wanting to get into the business, uh, you're leading by example with your advocacy, but also as, as an operator. I mean, you're, you're running a business, you're setting proper expectations with the community, and you're communicating, which is, which is what you need to be doing. You can't be a hands-off landlord in STR with the guest or, or the neighbors. Get involved in community meetings. There was a, a crime-related meeting in River Heights where most of my STRs are located. There was a, a meeting at the Crescentwood Community Club about crime in the neighborhood. You attend that meeting. Um, if they're having a block party, you attend that block party. Be seen. Uh, my husband has a, a construction uh, business, so we happen to have heavy equipment. And one day, the whole back lane got snowed in deep, like two feet deep. And we called the city, and the city would be a while. Um, so my husband cleared the whole back lane of our street himself. So, of course, that goes a long way. People come out with cookies. They come out with thanks. And we say, just keep us in mind, you know, MM Properties, Winnipeg. We care about this street. We care about you. Now you can go to work without any issue because we've cleared the back lane for you. Where it went a long way in PR. We did it because we didn't want our guests wading through two feet of snow to get to our property because that would be a bad review looking for a place to happen. But it went a long way for the neighbors to say thanks, you know, and, oh, you're doing good things here. You, we all of a sudden, we belong there. I love it. I love it. Okay. So before we wrap, I ask every guest this question, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. So this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success and what does winning look like for you? How do I personally define success? Absolutely. Being able to make my own decisions without having to worry about influence. That's the whole purpose of, of being self-employed is be able to control my own time, being able to control my own money and be, being able to set my own income level. That's success to me. I'm not quite there yet <laughs> because I have a, a couple of little municipal hurdles to overcome. But before COVID and before this municipal issue cropped up, I was about two months away from being completely free of any uh, employment commitment except for my own. Well, I, I wish you best of luck. This has been great hanging out with you. And I'd love to uh, thank you on behalf of the podcast and our listeners for, for uh, attending today. Thank you very much. Great. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time. <music>